Welcome back. Today, we want to talk about this very, very important question, perhaps a very pivotal question to our entire existence as Christians. Do you think God is a God of his word? Now, that's a really heavy question. Do you think God is a God of his word? And perhaps we instinctually say yes. But let's really break that down a little bit today. And I mean, Ben, just starting us off, what what is God's word? I think that's really the key to answering this question is when we say, is God a God of his word? Is Well, what is God's word? Um, obviously, again, the quick Christian answer is, well, oh, it's the Bible. The Bible is God's word. Um, but I think we have to be more specific than that because, you know, there's the, oh, it's more than just the red letters. <gasps> yeah. So the whole Bible, <laughs> the whole Bible, uh, is God's word. And we do have to clarify that because there, there are a lot of people who just really, they throw out the entire old Testament, um, because they're like, well, what Jesus says matters more. Um, or they'll even throw out portions of the New Testament. They'll say like, well, Paul is secondary to Jesus's words. I just care about what Jesus said. And while at the end of the day, Jesus's word reigns supreme, um, even in scripture, Paul provides necessary commentary and understanding and application of Jesus's word. And without the Old Testament, actually, there's a lot of things that Jesus says and does that don't really mean anything or make any sense. Uh, I mean, anytime Jesus quotes scripture, which he's quoting the Old Testament. So when he quotes old prophecies and things like that, if we just disregard the Old Testament, then those passages are meaningless. All the prophecies that are fulfilled by him, meaningless without the Old Testament. There's also a lot of times that Jesus doesn't talk about things. And people will often use that as a, a argument for things. But if it's talked about in the Old Testament, Jesus was in agreement with the Old Testament, unless he comes back and, and is like trying to clarify our understanding of something in the Old Testament. It should not be assumed Jesus was in disagreement with it. It should be assumed Jesus was in agreement with it. Well, there's that. And then there's also the idea that like just because something's not mentioned in the Bible doesn't whether by Jesus or otherwise, doesn't mean that scripture has nothing to say about it. You know, it's like the Bible doesn't mention Big Macs, but that doesn't mean that you should be stuffing your face with 30 Big Macs a day just because, well, Bible doesn't say not to. <laughs> I know, God, the that's thought. A, that's, that's a lot of Big Macs. <laughs> so anyway, I digress. Uh, when we're talking about God's word, we we mean the entirety of scripture. Um, second Timothy three sixteen it words it well, it says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, now there's some clarification that's needed here and for Will's sake, so I don't lose any listeners. I'm going to make sure I explain this really, really carefully. Yes. Very in-depth in instructions here to, to make sure we, we are clear on this. Yes. About to say. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to avoid the phrase that's going to turn into a TikTok soundbite and get us canceled. Uh, and I'm going to say it like this, that, uh, scripture is made up of a collection of writings by many different people. It was not written as a canon. It was canonized later. And so what that means is that within scripture, within the writings there are all sorts of quotations uh, from different people, including from Satan himself. There are quotations 
directly from the mouth of Satan. So when we read scripture, we have to be cautious in understanding the context of who said what. So just because something is written, like the direct quotation appears there in the Bible, does not mean it was written for us to go therefore and do. Satan says many things in scripture, but we do not go and do what Satan says just because, well, it's in the Bible. Will, anything you want to add to that? Did I make that clear enough that like, you know. Yes, thank thank you, thank you. Uh, No, it's just one of those big things to make sure we understand the context within scripture. You know, all scriptures, God breathed useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. It means we need to know it, know what it's trying to tell us here. And yes, there is historical recordings of conversations, of interactions, and oftentimes there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are just recorded as history. It doesn't mean that it's meant to be put up glorified and as instruction, but there's something we can learn from it. Yeah. Um, A lot of like David's stories and that whole section. There's a lot out there that it's a story to help us understand something. Maybe it's not telling us we need to go do whatever it is. You need, need to go kill so many Philistines or whatever that might be. Context is king. Yeah, I think uh, I think with the David, that's a great example because um, David is described as a man after God's own heart. So we, we can mm-hmm. think, well, of course, that means David's a role model, right? But David also sent a woman's husband to the front lines to be killed because he got her pregnant. Uh not yeah. not a model just because it's in scripture doesn't mean we model it um the teaching there is in how not to behave and the yes. teaching also comes from the rebuke and the correction of david so that he could be trained in righteousness and we could learn how god trains us for righteousness through those rebukes um So again, the idea is that when we talk about God's word, we have to understand there is context to God's word, but it does still include the whole thing. The entirety of the Bible represents God's word to us. Um, So what we come back to then is our initial question of, do we really believe that God is a God of his word? That God is who he says he is in scripture, that God is who the people of scripture proclaim him to be, that he He will do all the things that he promised to do. Uh, one way we could maybe start approaching this, because I, I think this is probably one of the biggest issues for us, is do we believe the promises of God? So Will, could you touch on that a little bit, get us started on there? Do we believe God's promises? We have to say about that. Yeah. So throughout scripture, there are numerous times that God is making a promise. And there are many of them that we have seen fulfilled from Old Testament to New Testament. Lots of those. But there's a lot of other promises out there that we don't see them fulfilled just yet. I know this past weekend I was actually talking with some students and we were talking about uh, Revelation. This great promise that, uh, Revelation 21.4 kind of sums up a lot of what's coming up with it, but it's, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Do we really believe that 
God's going to hold that promise, that prophetic promise. Because that's something that I think we struggle with as a society, as Christians, to live on that eternal promise, knowing that there's something bigger than just now. Yeah, I think I think you touched on uh, the word that I was looking for. There's there's the Christianese way to put it of uh, the eternal perspective, um, and yeah, I think the reason I would say that we most of us probably don't live with this perspective is because we tend to get very worried, very anxious, very stressed about the present state of things, whether it's the state of the church flashback to our intro episode there, um, whether it's the state of the world, the state of our city, the state of our family, whatever it is, we get very concerned and caught up in the present state of things. Uh, and we let it really drive us to anxiety. And so the, the question then, or the, not the question, if we had this eternal perspective, if we truly believed that one day there would be no more pain, no more tears, even death would be no more. I don't know that these things would stress us out so much. It's not that we wouldn't feel any kind of emotion. It's not that there wouldn't be any kind of reaction to it whatsoever. But they wouldn't become all-consuming. They wouldn't become life-destroying, life-ending for us when we go through seasons of loss and things like that. I, I mean, for example, like when we go through a funeral, when we lose somebody who we know was a person of God, who we know we're going to see on the other side of heaven, um, why should that hurt so much if we really fully believed and embraced this promise that one day we're going to be there with them again? Um, and I say that obviously as somebody who, believe me, I've, I've cried my way through many funerals. <laughs> uh, the, it's not that the... the the death doesn't hurt, but I think the reason it hurts as bad as it does is because there is a part of us that worries it, and there is a part of us that doubts that, like, what if this really is the end? You know, what what if, like, this pain is never going to go away? Well, yeah, I think another part of it is, like, keeping that eternal perspective is hard. Yeah. Like, I, I try my best. And there are definitely days where everything else just piles up on top of you, looks like it's right in front of you, and it's hard to see past it. There's so much right now. And I, I think that's like a society thing where we do so much right now. The time is now. XYZ is happening. Got to handle it now. And like, yeah, sure, you have to deal with things now. But it all gets in the way of seeing the big picture. You get so close to the the like an art piece. You don't see the big picture of it. You see like a couple of pigments and color <laughs> splashes. You don't see that big picture. And I think that's what happens. We lose sight of that. But if we really believe it, we can always step back and see, I, God, I, I know the end destination. I know how this plays out. And that's a comforting promise for us. It really is to yeah. know that death mourning, crying, pain, all that. It's going to be done one day. But that means until that day, it's going to be around. Yeah, and I, and I, I want to clarify too, just because I'm thinking over what I had just said, and I want to make sure I, I don't come across as callous or saying that death doesn't hurt. It's not that the present things um, don't hurt. 
but it's about where we set our focus. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's when we set our focus on the present realities, I think that's when it starts to show that we're not really keeping that eternal perspective in mind. That's when it shows that we're not really putting our trust in what God says, that like, I am going to take all of this away. Um, now, there are several categories of promises throughout scripture. Um, I, mean, I think this next one is probably one of my favorite ones to talk with people about. And it's promises about our capabilities. Do we believe the things that God promises we can do? Uh, So I'm going to open with one. Um, This is plastered on t-shirts and billboards and uh, profile bios and everything. Like This is like one of those famous Christian passages. Everybody knows this one. The question is, do we believe it? And in Luke 17, it says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, then you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. I mean, every every time I have ever heard uh, a teaching or, or somebody talking about this passage, I think it has always been blown off as metaphor or exaggeration. Um Will, what's your thoughts on faith the size of a mustard seed? What's smaller than a mustard seed? Because that's about how much faith I feel like I have when I'm trying to tell literal mountains to move. Faith the size um, of a bacteria. <laughs> bacteria. Yeah, no, that's one of those those harder scriptures where we look at it and we're like, man, I got faith. But if you go to tell a literal mountain to move, chances are it's not going to move. Pretty sure Jesus isn't going to bend to your will and just be like, all right, cool. We're moving Mount Everest 10 feet that way. Just a little bit of faith. Now, I think a lot of that does come back to that metaphorical mountain. Because I don't think I don't think Jesus is telling you you're going to be an earthbender by faith. So you do take this as a figurative passage here. Yeah, because I've I have seen figurative mountains move from faith. I've seen great changes happen. I don't think I've ever seen a mountain, physical mountain move. I don't know. What What are your thoughts there? Do you, do you think we just don't have the faith to move an actual mountain? I personally, I think that actually is what it is. I think the point mm-hmm. that he's making is that the mustard seed is such a small thing. Like, but it does have physical size. If we had, right. if we had faith in an amount that it, it became tangible that even tangible to the size of a mustard seed i think the point is that like if we had that level of faith then literally we could do anything because that level of faith is a complete dependence on god that means 100 dependence on him and if god can speak and the universe is created then if we had complete 100 faith in him um then the same God who spoke and the world was could also speak and move that mountain for us if we asked it to move. Now, of course, you come back to the, like you said, the the context of, you know, we're not, God is not our vending machine. We don't get to just get to say, no, while I'm asking God, genie. yeah, we, we don't just get to say, okay, God, I'm asking you right now, move this mountain and it's going to move. Uh, I think part of asking for things in faith is that True asking in faith means asking for God's will to be done. So I don't think we would, if we had that level of faith, I don't think we would just be asking mountains to move 
just for the sake of proving it could happen. Um, right. But if there was a reason for it, then we could absolutely ask and God would act through that or act on that request, I guess, if it was in his will. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's hard to balance the, the nature, I think of the, the verse is that God can do anything. Right. So if we're asking for anything in faith, he can do anything. You know, I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the, the prayer and getting closer, closer to God and following through his will plays a lot into that. Cause I definitely mm-hmm. think you're right that if you develop your faith to the point of a mustard seed, physical intensity, faith showing up, uh, you wouldn't be asking a mountain to move. Manifesting faith. Sounds like a good book. Instead of manifest destiny, manifested faith. Anyway. So So the the next one we wrote was uh, one of my favorite, actually. John 14, 12. Jesus tells the disciples, you will do greater things than I. And if I remember correctly, this is when Jesus is telling his disciples he's getting ready to go and he needs to go so he can send the Holy Spirit. And then he drops this one on them saying, you will do greater things than I. Ben, what's what's your take on that? So I think it's really easy to, to talk about what Jesus did and say, it's a miracle. Um And therefore, I could never do anything like that. Uh, You know, Jesus, he does a lot of pretty miraculous things. He walks on water. He raises a girl from the dead. uh, He raises a man from the dead, too. And he feeds 5,000 people with a very small amount of food. But then when we see things like this happen today, we don't typically see people raising from the dead. Um, But when we see, let's say an organization like Compassion International, that's one that I happen to support, uh, feeding millions of people. We don't look at that as a miracle. We don't look at that as God acting through us. But Jesus fed 5,000 people who were hungry for one meal. But then you've got these collections of Christians who through faith are feeding millions of people, providing them an education, breaking the cycle of poverty. Just because it's not instantaneous, just because it's not being done with five loaves only, I don't know that it's any less evidence of God acting through them. I think a lot of us really want to believe that we're not capable of doing anything particularly great, but Jesus is promising that, no, you, all of you, you plural, will do greater things than I am doing. You will feed more than 5,000 hungry people for one meal. You will feed millions, maybe billions of hungry people. And not just physically, but spiritually, you will feed them. You will do more than just raise someone from the physical dead. You will raise millions, billions of people from the spiritual dead. I think, I think the perspective of like what Jesus did was miraculous, but it was only a, a taste of the things that were to come. And I think that's what Jesus is promising here is that don't look at what I did and say, well, I personally cannot feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. But look at it as we as a collective body of Christians who are following Christ and acting in faith can do greater things than even feeding 5,000 people. Yeah, I've always seen it as like with with the context of this passage where Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit saying like, look, with this, you're going to do greater things than I. I have to go. 
it is because Jesus, as as human Jesus walking around the earth for, for 30 years, like he can only be one place at once. He is physically bound during that time. He can only show up at one spot. Mm-hmm. But then through the Holy Spirit entering the church and, and Acts 2 and, and being a part of the church moving forward, now Jesus' spirit can be everywhere. Yeah. And through that, that's where the great things come. And I've seen uh, both, you know, miracles in the physical of like healing happen before. I've also seen the miracles of like you said, people coming together and feeding thousands of people. Like it's it's awesome because it's the the heart of it, but you have to believe that with the Holy Spirit following its guiding, you can do greater things than what Jesus was able to do just on his his own, like as a physical being on our planet. He he was also bound to like I can only be one place one time. Holy Spirit, boom, now you can be everywhere. Yeah. Um now, to kind of close this this section off, too, there's one final promise. And and I think, again, this is one that we really want to believe, that, but I don't think a lot of people do. Um, before I say what the verse is, I mean, well, how often do you think you hear people, Christians, telling you, uh, maybe even me, I, I've probably said this phrase to you before, um, but saying things like, I just can't do this. Oh, yeah. That's it's, that's a, a very common phrase. And it's like, I don't know. I, I try to weed it out of people. Stop saying yeah, that. Yeah, it's a fairly common mentality. Say, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this anymore. Whatever it is. We say, well, I, I can't. And yet, plastered all over our Facebook and Instagram bios is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things <laughs> through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things Christ who strengthens me. You know, you want to talk about a promise that we don't often believe in. Anytime that we're saying, I can't do this, we're rejecting the scripture. Anytime that we say, I'm just not capable. I can't push on anymore. I can't go to my job one more day. I can't uh, do this thing that I'm being called to do. Anytime we say, I can't do this, we're rejecting this promise of God that uh, this, this scripture says, I can do all things. Not on my own strength, but through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, I think the the big struggle with this verse is so often we do try to get by on our own strength. And then we we go to, to God as a uh, battery backup. You know, mm. my, my phone's dying. There's no place to plug it in. Oh, I got I got this little battery charger. I can I can plug it in real quick, get it up. But it's. We, we rely on that as the last second. I need God to strengthen me through this one. No, God, God can be strengthening you through the whole process. He can be with you the entire time as you're struggling through this, not as the, the last chance, but through the relationship, he'll strengthen you to it. And sometimes when you get to something you're like, I can't do it. Maybe it's because Jesus is trying to not have you do it. Ooh, closed doors maybe. are closed because you're not yeah. supposed to go through them. <laughs> Yeah, and you're sitting there like, but but Christ can strengthen me for it. I'm like, well, is Christ calling you to it? Because if he ain't calling you to it, he ain't going to strengthen you for it. Preach, Will. I was going to say, you're you going to get me preaching here in a second. <sighs> um, no, but you're right. Like, I, I love this verse because it 
it is that promise that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is writing this while he is in chains. Like, if, if anybody has reason to not have faith that they can do something at a physical time and place, Paul's got a pretty good argument of saying, like, everything sucks. Like, it, it ain't great. He's in prison. He's taking this time. He's writing all these letters. He's making the best of it. But he's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. He knows who he was relying on. No. Uh, and I think this, <clears throat> I think this question about like, you know, being able to do all things through God, you, you mentioned specifically the idea of using God as a, a battery backup. And I think that that's a, a good segue into the next category of promises we want to touch on today, which is, do you believe that God is good? And, and specifically what we mean by that is, do you believe that God is going to provide for you? Do you believe that God actually cares about and will give you what you need? Uh, and so the first verse that we wanted to touch on was in Matthew 21, 22. Nice and easy to remember, 21, 22. And uh, Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Preach to me, Will. Oh, man. It's just like that mustard seed. Are we Are we asking, right? Or do we have that faith? No, I think a lot of it comes back to when you ask in prayer, when you are in prayer, when you are like drawing closer to God, the things you ask for will be different. Yeah. When your faith is building up, like you're, you're not going to be asking, like we said, you're not going to ask the mountain to move just to prove that you can make it move. You could have all authority from your faith to tell a mountain to move. You're not going to tell it to move. You don't need it to move. You'll use that prayer for something else. Uh, an example I like to go to a lot for stuff like this is death. Um, and uh, not because I have an obsession with death, but because I think it's a, it's something particularly salient to all of us. Uh, we're all going to experience it. And I think a good example is when you are new in your faith, or maybe you don't have any faith, your prayer might go something like, God, heal this person. God, help this person to get better. But I think that the prayer of faith goes something more like, God, if it's their time, then I pray that you would welcome them into your arms. That's a hard prayer to pray. You know, you talk about the difference between like spiritual milk and spiritual meat. That's a, that's a spiritual meat prayer right there is like, yeah, it is. God, if it's their time, then I pray that you would welcome them into your loving arms. Because the thing is, the faithful person knows that that is far more important than the healing of their physical body. The, per the person of faith, the person who is praying in faith is also praying for the things that God desires, which is that we would be reconciled to him, not just that our physical bodies would be healed. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking for physical healing. Physical healing is great if it's in God's will. And that's, that's where the difference is. Uh, I think part of the reason that we don't believe passages like this is because we think of all the times that we've prayed for something and we didn't get it. And when we say, well, I prayed, but I didn't get what I, I prayed for. But the question is, did you pray in faith or did you pray just God do my will? Did you pray, God, your will be done and see it done? Or did you say, God, please do my will? 
Um, I think the other reason too, though, that we doubt the promises of God's provision uh, is because we sometimes just kind of expect God to do things for us. We just expect God. Well, God knows everything. God knows what's on my heart. Like he's going to, he's going to just do it. But James actually calls us out a little bit. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. We've had, we've said before, and we'll say it again. God's not a vending machine. He is not a genie in a bottle. Um, sometimes the reason that we don't get things from God is because we're not asking for them. Now, that's not referring to, you know, the Ferrari or the seven-figure job. Can't even say six-figure anymore. I feel like six figures is just shy of poor now. But the reason we're not getting the... Uh, <laughs> I must be in poverty then. <laughs> oh, same. Um, but the reason we're not getting those things, that's that's different. But, uh, you know, so the reason we're not getting the, the things like people are waiting for their calling. Well, I just don't know what God's calling me to. And, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll call me eventually. But are you asking him, Lord, reveal your plan for my life? Maybe the reason you don't know is because you're not asking. Uh, or or we'll, we'll say, well, I know that God's going to make me better. He's going to help me out with uh, such and such a sin or such and such a relationship. But are you asking him, Lord, help to heal this relationship? Maybe you're waiting on your marriage to get better. Maybe you're waiting on a, a friendship or a family relationship to get better. But are you asking him for it? We're, we're a promise that if we ask in faith, that God will provide. If you ask in prayer, in faith, you will receive. So sometimes the reason we don't believe that is because we haven't been asking and we haven't been receiving. But James is saying, that's why you're not getting it is because you're not asking. Well, any thoughts on that? Honestly, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of another verse we didn't write down earlier. But Matthew 6, 26 through 27, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you more valuable than they? Can any one of you worry by worrying at a single hour to your life? God values us so much. He's saying, like, you are more valuable. He will provide. Like, God's provision is there for us. He is going to take care of us as a good father. There's another verse, I think, in this section where he says, like, if you ask the father, or if, if any one of you were to go ask your father for something, would he give uh, you a snake instead of bread? Something along those lines. So like, no, he would he would give you the bread you need. He's going to give you what you ask for and what you need. And he knows that balance far better than we do. So he'll provide what we need. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, he and, says, uh, if your earthly fathers know how to give you good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, love me some sermon on the mount. So again, yeah, we we often doubt these scriptures about God's promises of provision, and we start to question whether he's good because we say, well, God hasn't provided me the things that I've asked for, or we say God hasn't provided me when we haven't even asked for it. Um. So again, it's important that we we take into context that we we do have to ask, but also we have to ask in faith for things. Um, and lastly, I wanted to touch on one last promise, and this is this is key here. This is actually this is at the at the root of our faith is the promise of God's forgiveness. 
And the reason I say that it's at the root of our faith is not just because, you know, as individuals, we're all trying to get into heaven, but as a, as a species, as humanity, um, God's promise of forgiveness, God's promise of reconciliation is for all of us. Uh, his desire is that all humanity would be restored to him. Unfortunately, that's not what's going to happen, that not all humans are going to reconcile with God, but his desire is that we would all be reconciled to him. Um, and yet that cannot happen because of anything that we do. Um, Ephesians 2 8 and 9, it says, you have been saved by grace through faith and not of works. That's a, that's a promise that, that God's grace, God's grace is what saves us. Like the fact that he is not giving us the just separation from him that we deserve. And it is only through our faith. It is not of our works. I don't know if everybody knows this. Um, in fact, I know that there are many Protestants who do not know it, but that's actually what makes us Protestants is that primary belief right there that we are saved by faith, not of works, that works is entirely separate from our salvation. Um, we say that we believe that, but so many of us live like if we don't work hard enough, we're going to lose our salvation. Will, you want to speak to that one? Yeah, no. I, so this brings me back to, to the other day with my students. I had, you know, we're closing up the year. So I said, all right, guys, I, I want you, one, to know, like wrestling with God, it's cool, it's okay. We're all trying to figure out God. We're coming together with it. That's good. That's healthy. What I'm, I'm going to ask of you is to make sure that you're, staying constant with it and you're staying with God, you're wrestling with God, you're, you're trying to figure it out. You're not just going to get up and walk away. Um, but with that, I gave them an opportunity to write down a bunch of anonymous questions. So that way I have a bouncing board for like, I told them, look, whatever you guys write down, that's what we're going to talk about for like the rest of the school year, because I want to be talking about what's, what's something you have on. And, and a bunch of them were along this line of like, well, what do I need to do to earn my way into heaven? It's like, I failed you. I'm so sorry. Oh, you, you did not. It. You don't have to earn it. Yeah. Grace is enough. Like God already did all, all the legwork. He's done the extension. He's handed you the invitation, more or less. It's done. You just have to have the grace or the, the faith that that grace is there for you and believe, truly believe that you are forgiven. And I think that's one of the harder things to think that we are forgiven because so often we are our own biggest critics. Yep. I, I, I know all the worst things I've ever done that other people don't know about. How How could they ever know what I need to be forgiven of? I'm like, I don't even know what you've done. God knows and God still forgave you. And that's a that's something hard. I don't know what it is, whether it's a cultural thing or just maybe it's in, ingrained in humanity where we just don't want to accept that. But like we we are forgiven through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. We don't need to make a sacrifice beyond. And that's a hard truth. 
I, I think I got two things to say to that. One is I think part of the reason that it's so hard is because we often hear uh, that you are saved and follow it up with, yeah, but what if? Mm-hmm. But what if I have said this? Am I still saved? Yeah, but what if I have done this? Um, and and that's the reason I say, I say that we think that is because I hear that a lot from my own students. Um, as they say, well, okay, yeah, we're saved by grace and everything. But what if, like, what about Hitler? You know, if Hitler uh, had faith, always it's always Hitler. Hitler. Um, but what if Hitler had had faith? Um, the argument of which I say is, if it, Hitler had faith, he wouldn't have done the things that he did. Um, <laughs> chances of somebody truly repenting from such a, a lifetime of wickedness are pretty low. Um, but it, it can happen. But I don't think I've seen it yet in my life that someone has repented quite uh, of quite so severely a sinful life. The point is that I think I think we often hear the that you are saved part, um, and we followed up with a but what if, and there is no what if. You are saved by grace through faith is an absolute statement. There is no what if. It is not of works, and that means that there are no works that you could have done prior to your salvation that will disqualify you from it. Um. And then also there's another verse too, and and it states so plainly. Now, this was said to a specific person, but it is a statement that God makes to all of us. And it's in Luke 7, 48 and 50. Uh, Jesus tells the woman, your sins are forgiven. But he also follows it with, your faith has healed you. What he means is that your faith has given you the power uh, to walk away from the sin that you have been forgiven from. And this is something that like, even I personally have wrestled with and still wrestle with. This is a hard passage to believe. Well, yeah. Okay. My sins are forgiven, but like, I can just walk away. Like I don't have to keep sinning. What do you mean? Like the way that Paul words is we are no longer slaves to sin. Nope. That's in scripture. We are not slaves to sin anymore. Uh, and But again, we don't live like that's true. You know, we, we talk about, about uh, God, give me strength. God, give me strength. We, we'll pray that prayer over and over again. But we're praying for the wrong thing. We don't need God to give us strength. God already broke the chains. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has healed you. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're not a slave to sin anymore. You are not controlled by sin anymore. You are not under sin's power anymore. You don't need strength. You just got to walk away. You just got to walk towards God. That's all it is. How much more powerful we could be as Christians if we truly believed that our chains, our bondage, our slavery to sin had already been broken in Christ's death for us that our sins truly were forgiven and we didn't have to keep going back and say, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me for the same thing over and over and over again. Um, well, I, I want to share uh, the thing from the song that I had told you about earlier. I was on the fence about whether or not I wanted to share it, but I, I just, I love this speech too much to, to pass it up. Um, so there's a song by House of Heroes, which is a Christian band that was kind of, 
never really like super popular, but they were out there. They had some good songs and um, songs called Voices. And in the middle of the song, there's a spoken part. And he says, your greatest sin is not the abortion that you've asked for forgiveness for or the adultery or whatever it is you did in your life in the past that you're ashamed of that keeps hounding you. Your greatest sin is not that. Your greatest sin is not believing God's word when God says you're forgiven. Your greatest sin is unbelief. He says, you want to repent of something grand? Stop repenting of sins that you've already repented of and repent of your unbelief. We've talked a lot about the, the promises of God and, and asking this question of like, do we really believe God's a God of his word? And I think the truth is that a lot of us don't. I think a lot of us really don't believe that God means what he says. And we wrestle with things that God has said, I promise this, I declare this, and therefore it's true. Any thoughts on that, Will? Yeah, I think one of the, the things that is so important to trying to understand and believe that God is a God of his word you you got to know his word. I mean, that, there are so many people that say they are Christian. They attend church, whatever they, but like at the pace at which you, you go through scripture in church on a Sunday morning alone, um, let the heck double it up Sunday morning and, and Wednesday night, go twice a week. You're not getting through the whole Bible ever for years. Like, and, yeah, there's there's going to be so much stuff that's going to be cut out, even if you're following the lectionary, um, which is like a three year plan. The like, lectionary is a preaching plan, just by the way, for those who are not yeah. familiar with that. It's just a preaching plan for pastors. Yeah, but it's, it's a preaching plan. I believe it's three years. Something like that. And, yeah. And it gives like a, a New Testament section, Old Testament section, Psalms and something else a, a designated gospel section for every sunday basically and most most pastors will they'll they'll look at that they'll pick whatever is vibing with them <laughs> they're like oh yeah man gospel section really <gasps> like that oh we're gonna preach gospel for you know the next month or so because it's a, it's a really great section it's all about sermon on the mount vibing with the gospel sounds like a great vibin new podcast <laughs> it's a chill approach to the bible vibing with the gospels Sorry, so continue. Uh, but like you go through that for, for three years and you have gotten maybe a third of the scriptures yeah, because of, of whatever didn't make the, the chopping block, so to speak. Like You need to be doing it on your own. Yeah. You need to be doing some form of reading on your own to understand like as a Christian, if you're going to say, I believe that God is a God of his word, you need to know what his word is. Yeah. Because without knowing, what, what do you believe? And sometimes it, it will end up being like we talked about earlier with some of those scriptures that it's a recording of a conversation. Like uh, Matthew 4, 9. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. <laughs> Man, you hear that out of context. and You're like, all right, Jesus, I'll bow down and worship. That, that wasn't Jesus saying that. That was, it was Satan. Satan in the desert. Like you, you need to know. You need to understand in context whether it's it's you listen to it, you read it, you 
like whatever it is, you need to dig into what are the promises God has for me? Who has God declared that I am? Because he's declared you forgiven. He's declared you clean. He's declared you a child of God. So why don't we live like it? I think what we're what we're left with again is is that question of do we really believe God will do what he says? And uh, do we believe that God has done all that scripture says he did? And that's where that last thing that Will just brought up was really comes in is like, if you read the word of God, if you read scripture, we read stories of God creating the universe, of God performing miracles, of God working with and through people. Um, and if we don't believe that though, then how, if we don't believe that God has done those things, then how can we believe that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. How can you believe the promises of God if you don't first believe that he's capable of fulfilling them? And that's where, again, just really knowing and, and making sure that you, you understand and believe what scripture says about who God is, about what he's capable of. It's just so crucial to your faith that you know what the Bible says about God. Because if you can believe that he's done those things, then it makes it a lot easier to believe in the promises that he's making to you. It's a lot easier to believe that God's a God of his word when you know that this is the same one who spoke and life was. So I want to close by suggesting a prayer for all of us, really, um, but particularly if you're struggling with unbelief. If you're really wrestling to believe any of these promises or, or some other promise that we didn't talk about of God. And you're saying, well, no, 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 I'm not really forgiven. I can't believe that or anything, whatever it is you're struggling with uh, to not believe. Um, Mark 9, 23 and 24, it's, it's a passage about a man asking Jesus to heal his son. Uh, his son who has a terrible disease that gives him seizures. And he says, if you can, please heal my son. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Let that be your prayer. Help my unbelief. Rather than, than getting stuck on, on praying, God, give me strength to break free of my sin. Lord, help my unbelief in your promise that I'm saved. Rather than saying, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, over and over and over again. Lord, help my unbelief when you say that I'm forgiven. Whatever it is that you are struggling to believe, whatever promise of God that you just can't believe, say, Lord, help my unbelief. Thanks again for listening this week. We'd like to give a special thank you to Travis D'Amato for both our theme music and sound editing. If you like either, you can find and contact him at Music 93 on Instagram. That's D-A-M-A-T-O, music 93. Remember to follow us on social media at Everyday Faith Podcast. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to share it. We're always looking for feedback to help us grow, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the Everyday Faith Podcast.